you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, we are joined by none other than Dr. Emil Goliath. Welcome, Emil. Thank you so much, Mads. It's a pleasure to be on here and talk to you guys. Awesome. And this is going to be a little bit of a different episode because even though Emil does run a business and a very successful one, he is one of the fitness gurus that I always uh, listen to and I try and stay in shape. I'm not sure I'm always super successful with it, but at least I wanted to bring Emil on the podcast today just to share lots of hints and tips on how, as a busy entrepreneur, you can make sure to still prioritize your health and still make sure that you're in a good shape, right? So, Emil, just before we jump into it all, would you mind giving the audience a little bit of background about yourself and how you ended up where you are? Yeah, for sure. So the doctor gave it away somewhat. My background is as a medical doctor, and I've always been through and through medicine from 14, 15, where we did high school exams, I picked the sciences. My dad said, you should be a doctor. I did my A-levels in the UK all around being a doctor, went to medical school at 18, you know, through and through doctor, no, no debate about it. And then as I progressed through it for a number of reasons, I decided to leave. I worked for four years full-time as a doctor. I didn't like the lack of freedom. I didn't like the lack of autonomy. Um, I didn't like what modern healthcare was was doing or rather what it wasn't doing. So all of this kind of came together and caused me to leave. Um, and then over the next kind of five years, 2014, 15 to 19, I slowly transitioned from full-time doctor to full-time entrepreneur, health coach, whatever whatever the word, the word is. And, and in that time, I've been building multiple businesses, traveling, a hell of a lot and figuring out how to live a healthy optimal lifestyle around a healthy optimal life so that's kind of where we're at awesome and that's i mean many entrepreneurs are obviously people who want to improve and get better and you know do amazing things with their life and one of the things i always look at is the fact that staying alive obviously is a benefit and um, i definitely know plenty of entrepreneurs where it looks like they're trying to work themselves to death and uh, that's obviously not a that's not a great starting point but uh, I think if we go into the meal like lots of people if if they are I mean like entrepreneurs are most if they are working lots and lots of power like what's a few sort of good tips and tricks to really stay on track and really stay healthy yeah so the first thing to say is that it's going back to the foundations. Why are we doing what we do? And for most of us, entrepreneurship or business is a vessel for us to enjoy life, right? And I feel we somehow forget that and we end up working all the time forever and ever and, and forget the whole have fun and enjoy ourselves part. And a key part of this is health because I think as entrepreneurs, we're almost the you know, kings and queens of delayed gratification. And the problem is, is at some point we have to 
receive that gratification otherwise we end up dying as you say and health is a huge part of that where we you know we say i'm just going to hustle for a year and then i'll get healthy or then i'll enjoy my life and, and unfortunately and i've seen this in myself and others it gets to one year three years five years ten years 50 years and they never looked after their health and they've never stopped to enjoy their life and to me all of these things are intrinsically connected health enjoyment business that they're, they're all one and the same process so that's the biggest thing is just to remember why we do this and that tomorrow never never comes right you, you know you can't say i'm going to start on monday because that never happens i'll be happy when is another statement it just it just won't happen and i've seen it and i've experienced it so once you've got that you can kind of bring yourself to the present and start to think okay what can I do today? One, to have fun and two, to start thinking about health. And that's the fundamental crux of this. This isn't, I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to do a severe diet. I'm going to exercise two hours a day, blah, blah, blah. It's what small change can I make today that's going to shift me one degree towards health and then tomorrow one degree towards health. And then this compounds over time. And that's what we get, this compound interest of health. Yeah. I love it. And that sounds a bit like, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of atomic habits and uh, that's, that's what I try and do with building, building good habits and, and slowly integrating them. Uh, like entrepreneurs, we want to do everything at once, but I have found that does not work or it really works at least. So uh, small sorts of things that make gradual improvement sounds, sounds sensible. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I realized that up till now I've given zero practical advice, but you need to have that grounding before you can go further, because actually the Internet is full of, you know, in quotations, practical advice. And at least 90 percent of that practical advice is shaded by marketing because you can't sell sensible moderation. It's just not exciting. It's not sexy. So so much practical advice out there is a marketing ploy it's an arms race you have to go more extreme than what's happened in the past for anyone to even listen to you so this is why i'm wary to give practical advice because it sounds boring it doesn't sound sexy so without this backing this foundation of why this is so freaking important no one's going to listen to me when i say oh you need to get out into the sun and you need to go for a walk they're like i need to measure my insulin and, and take you know these magical pills and all this kind of stuff you know that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, I think the mindset, I mean, I'm the same when I, when I talk about management, like the first things first is getting the mindset, right. And then when you, when you get into a good point mindset wise, then, you know, you can start looking at the tactics and you can start looking at the to do's. So I've obviously picked a few things up from you over the years, I guess. Um, but I think it's probably best if you share uh, sort of some of your practical advice and tips and so on. Yeah, for sure. So I'm the, I suppose, the laziest person out there, as in I will always look for the things that will give me the biggest bang for my buck, the 80-20 the, the essentially. And even that is such a cliche term that we almost like switch off to as soon as we hear. But by starting with the things that will have the most impact, when I make those one degree changes, they will have a disproportionate positive effect. And then when you start seeing this effect happen, 
you then get encouraged and you get this cycle of kind of motivation and results. So you keep doing more and more things. And then you can start to work down from the thing with the most effect down to the kind of obscure stuff at the other end. But you have to start with the, with the basic stuff. So the biggest lever when it comes to health is probably nutrition because we have to eat, right? So we eat multiple times per day. And by altering these choices and being a little bit more mindful, we can automatically start to move you know, the oil tanker slight degrees to the, to the side. And when it comes to nutrition, again, there's another hierarchy. And we start from the big, most important thing. And generally speaking, this is what you know, our mothers told us when we were growing up, don't eat too much. And then beyond that, protein and vegetables are important. Now, this sounds mind-numbingly simple, but the beauty of this is you're probably already doing this and just eating a little bit too much. So actually, when people say, I haven't got time or bandwidth to start a diet or whatever, it's like, okay, just eat a little bit less and just think about protein and vegetables. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It doesn't have to be anything mind-blowing. But another concept I talk about is intentional eating and, and stopping when you're full. And, and this feeds into the don't eat too much thing. And actually, if you were to be present, if you were to eat without distraction, if you were to be intentional with your food, you would probably cover that don't eat too much thing. And that would probably be 80% of what you need to do for your health, which is just mind blowing when you think about it. But it's just very, very true. In the age of age of distraction, age of social media, we're sitting eating on our uh, on our phones, watching Netflix or whatever. Um, with all the marketing out there telling us we need to overeat all this kind of stuff uh, cheap junky food that, that makes it very easy for us to overeat it's very easy for this to happen so actually even though the theory is simple to implement it is very very difficult yeah, totally totally and I, I think honestly this is i mean sometimes i'm waiting but i think actually what i see most entrepreneurs do is the fact that they 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 make the excuse for themselves that too busy so they get the wrong kind of food so I mean, I'm sitting in a co-working space right now in Mexico City, and I see people eating pizzas for lunch and burgers for lunch and all this kind of stuff. And again, not saying you should never eat that, but um, I, I think one of the fundamentals is that easy is not always right. And I think exactly as you said, like with a little bit, bit more effort, you can often get a lot longer. That's at least what I, what I figured out when I started looking at it and started listening to all your great advice. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's intentionality because pizza is a great example. Like pizza is a very tasty food. We eat it because it's tasty. So if you're going to eat pizza, make sure it's good pizza and make sure you're present and enjoy it. Because if you're eating an enjoyable food and not enjoying it, what are you gaining from it? Because you're not gaining a huge amount of nutrition. And if you're not gaining enjoyment either, you know, that, that there's something amiss here. So I tend to separate my foods into fuel meals and feast meals. Feast meals are the ones I want to enjoy. I want to double down on them. I want to eat without distraction. I want to really taste every bite because that is the whole point of that food. And then fuel meals are the ones when I'm in a co-working space, I'm distracted, I'm busy. I just want something 15 minutes so I can get back to work. And those I focus on nutrition because I'm not going to taste it anyway. So I may as well optimize for what I want. So again, that goes back to protein, vegetables, and don't eat too much. Don't eat 2000 calories in a 15 minute slot when you don't even taste the food. It's just a waste. It's just pointless. So again, this just comes back to intentionality. And I don't want to just spend this whole kind of podcast talking about nutrition, but 
one of the best ways to start with intentionality is just to start being aware of what you're eating and tracking your food can help with that. It's not essential, but it just makes you accountable for what you're eating. And when you're like, oh, wow, I ate a thousand calorie pizza, you know, 300 calories of potato chips and 300 calories of, of Coca-Cola, and I didn't even notice it, then you're like, oh, shit, okay, that's an issue, you know? And then you can also say, and then I felt like shit afterwards, and you've got, okay, well, that's what I ate, and then I felt like shit, huh? So what did I gain from this? Can I make a change? So you don't need a coach or anyone to tell you this. You can just see what happens when you track data. Um, so that, that would be my one piece of advice if you want to start doing something. Don't even have a goal. Just start documenting it. Yeah, I, I think that's super interesting. I mean, I have, I've started tracking, I was about to say, everything I do. So I, I've struggled a lot with sleep, uh, not necessarily falling asleep, but waking up way too early uh, a lot. And one of the key things for me that, that was really beneficial was uh, I, I got an aura ring, but there's, there's many, many ways you can do it, right? But what I started doing was really tracking everything I did and trying to figure out what was the impact on me because I realized I'm, at least food-wise, I'm very, very different than most people. I, I eat a lot more than most people and uh, I, I need to eat a lot more than most people. But reality is that the food that I eat, the kind of food and the time that I eat, make a huge impact on my sleep. And that was something that I spent a lot of time trying to just figure out by, you know, trying different things. But it's so hard to actually measure the impact if you don't have proper data. And it wasn't actually until I started writing down, like, what am I eating? What am I doing? And quite often when I was working out, like I had sometimes a workout session was great. And sometimes I just felt totally exhausted five minutes into it. And, and I found out as well that was also totally related to food. So now I actually write down like anything I eat. I write down the time I eat. I write down what I drink. I write down um, obviously my sleep I've tracked in, in with my aura ring and so on. But really writing it all down. And then I basically both look at when I go work out, what, what gives me a good workout. So I look at what was I eating the day before and earlier in the day before a good workout. And what was I eating before that workout? That had taught me a lot of things about me. I've also learned a lot about sleep in particular, right? Where I basically realized if I eat later than 6.30, it will significantly impact my sleep. And, and particularly being in a place like Mexico where restaurants with no month to seven, that is not a benefit. But um, it, like knowing the data and having some information to work on is really, really useful. And, and it does sound like it takes forever to track all these things. And, and honestly, like when I eat, I don't track it down to a milligram like some people do, but I just write down, you know, I had chicken and I had rice or whatever for lunch. And so I just write it down in broad terms and I just use the information to, to try and figure out, like get to know your body better, get to know. And because for us, I mean, sleep, uh, exercise, and, and generally also work function. So every morning when I wake up, I always write down, you know, how do I feel? Do I feel tired? Does my brain feel ready or does it feel like foggy or does it feel slow and so on? And I do the same thing at, at night before I go to bed. And I felt like just, again, like you say, just the tracking of it makes it a huge difference. Yeah. So many people ask me for hacks and things like, how do I improve my energy? How do I improve my sleep? What can I do X, Y, Z? And it would be irresponsible of me to give blanket advice. You have to look at the data. You have to see what's happening because saying cut out 
all of these foods, it's, it's not effective. It makes it very difficult to stick to. And it's not necessarily true. Whereas if you look at the data, you, you've got hard facts. And that's essentially the number of problems I've solved with clients, not through any deep science research, just observing when X happens, then Y. I mean, it's basic scientific technique, right? Um, N equals one. Let's have a look at someone and see what happens and then make adjustments. Um, and if something doesn't make a difference, then, in, you know, go back. Like if you cut something out, it makes zero difference, include it again. Because you don't want to get to a point where you're eating three different foods and that's all you're eating. And you're like, this is really hard. It's like, yeah, no shit, you know? Um, and then, you know, what we were saying about data is the data is super important. Data is fundamental. It definitely doesn't have to be to the milligram, you know, like the food information on packets, the weighing, none of this is particularly accurate. So over tracking is just going to make this more difficult for no benefit. And similar applies to things like the aura. There's a lot of data on this thing. And most of it isn't accurate enough to dictate intervention. Some of it is useful. Use that. A lot of it, like, you know, not, you're not necessarily going to do anything with the body temperature number or necessarily even with the REM sleep or the deep sleep. It's just not accurate enough to make real changes. But total sleep, awesome. The readiness score or HRV, you know, it's a good broad number of what's going on. So don't overinterpret data and a classic example of this is when you weigh yourself in the morning and you're like i'm up three pounds one and a half kilos what does this mean well probably nothing probably that you ate a bit late or you had a bit more salt or you haven't gone poop this morning you know like you're not going to gain that much overnight so it's data is great but you need to interpret it correctly otherwise it will rule your life and you hear about people being run by their auras it's like well i'm going to have a shit day today because my aura says so it's like yeah you just need to improve your relationship with this data and not not let it run you um, because then then it's not serving you at all i i, I totally agree and I, I think the one thing that made the biggest difference is like earlier on in my career i was so focused on the hours i was putting in and i think what makes the biggest difference for me when i focus much more on my readiness because the, the thing is i mean i've like most people i've had Many, many days where I've woken up at six o'clock, I've started to work and, you know, I've worked 10, 12 hours or something. And, you know, I've probably done four hours back to work, right? If I had been in great shape, if I'd had my mindset in the right place and so on. So I, I think that was probably like my readiness and my, my sort of, my level of, of um, sort of focus and, and my level of ability really to, to, to be ready to work. I, I found, when I found, figured that out and, and really found out how to get in a good place with that, I think that was probably the biggest game changer overall. Yeah, for sure. You find your own routine um, and, and it's usually unique to you. You find what works for you and no one can, can argue with that. You know, just be open, open to trying new things, open to things changing over time. And again, you know, that's essentially what I do when I work with people is we build someone's routine around them and their lifestyle according to their preferences and what works. Like there's no cookie cutter method for this, whatever the, you know, online Facebook ads or whatever that you're hit with tell you, right? Yeah, yeah that's another thing I got out of it. So, so I noticed I, I used to love eating yogurt. Or I still love eating yogurt. But I, I had periods of my life where I would eat like a half a liter or a liter of yogurt for breakfast. And 
I, I didn't notice this as a thing. I didn't feel bad or it wasn't anything. But when I started tracking the data, I just realized like my sleep in at nighttime, even from eating yoga or breakfast, suffered big time. And I, I actually figured out that I, I was lactose intolerant. Not not crazy, but I had some. And the whole thing is many people out there are intolerant to certain kinds of food, but they don't know. Because again, like you don't figure out if you don't track. So uh, actually one thing I, I would really recommend people um, in the UK at one point, I, I went to do a food intolerance test and it literally took 15 minutes and cost like 50 bucks or something. But uh, I, I thought that was a great way of doing it because that way, you know, if there is things that you're not consciously aware of being intolerant to, you, you can figure that out pretty quickly. And so on, right? but, but, but definitely just yeah, tracking the data, figuring out what it tells you and, and over time you, you will learn to work with it. And, and for me as well, it also makes me think more about what I eat. Like if I'm, I, I've always tried and uh, make a good way to compensate with, with sweet stuff, right? So I, I used to eat a ton of cakes and I used to eat a ton of unhealthy stuff just because I, I got so bored of eating I, I need to eat a lot to maintain weight. So I got so bored of eating healthy food. But the thing is, when I realized what the impact sugary foods had on me, uh, you get the sugar high straight up, but then you know later on in the day, and again your sleep and so on, just significantly impacted. It made it much easier for me to be conscious, aware, and cut down. Yeah, for sure. And just a, a point to flag on the food intolerance tests: that there's a number of different types and the igg intolerance test can sometimes it's it's sometimes less about intolerance and more just about a natural response so an ige test will show intolerance an igg test might just show a natural response so if you get it and it's like all of these foods are red for you then just be careful because it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't eat all of them because you, you will pretty much end up with very little left. And you'll be like, well, some of these are my favorite foods. So just be careful. And, and again, test. Like if you have something and you feel amazing, then be open to the fact that it's probably not an issue. If you have something and you feel like shit and this test has highlighted that for you, amazing. You know, get rid of it. But the point of all these kind of elimination style diets is that you try stuff and then you re-include it at the end whereas people eliminate 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 and then end up eating i don't know like soy lettuce and chicken breast and that's like that's that's their whole diet and it's just like yeah, yeah. you're going to run into issues there for sure definitely definitely and i think that's a big thing as well for me in particular i mean i i'm very comfortable eating the same food again and again and again and i'm i'm definitely a habit creature that could easily do something like that right but i i it's also important to just understand the nutrition and the, the whole thing of just because you eat healthy food doesn't mean if you eat the same food every day for a month that that's necessarily healthy because the variation and so on is also important. Yeah, the variation allows you to hit vitamins, minerals, um, a wide variety of food. Um, so yeah, it, it is worth doing. And, and what again, I split into fuel and feast. So my fuel meals are quite uniform. They're very, very similar. They're very easy because I want to reduce decision fatigue. Like I wear black all the time. I eat very similar foods for my, for my fuel meals. And sometimes when I go to a new place, I'll go on Uber Eats and identify two or three set meals for my fuel meals. So I can just go in and order them. I don't have to think. Um, and then feast meals, I go ham. I have whatever I want. And that adds in a lot of variety to it. 
and also a lot of enjoyment, um, which adds to sustainability. Because if you are eating the same food all the time, you can build up cravings. And some people can, they're machines, they're robots, it works really well. But for some people, that, that restriction can be difficult. Totally, totally. So one of the other things my aura ring tells me all the time, Emil, is the fact that I've been sitting down for an hour and I should yes. do something. What should I do? So when I'm sitting in my office and I'm been sitting having a one-hour amazing podcast with someone like yourself, what should I get up and do afterwards? Yeah, that's a great point. And the aura and a lot of other devices are good for that. They kind of prompt us to move. So they say sitting is the new smoking or whatever. But fundamentally, as humans, we are mammals, animals. We're built to move. We're supposed to move a lot. And not necessarily any particular modality. We just need to move and not be sat, hunched, shoulders over, neck down, hamstrings short, you know, hunched over a laptop. We should be walking, moving, stretching muscles, moving our blood around the body, heart beating, all this kind of stuff. So movement is essential for health. Therefore, movement is essential for a happy peak life. So you need to do something. And the best way to identify this is find something you enjoy and find something that isn't going to get you injured and then build it into your routine on a regular basis. Now, that's kind of the exercise portion of this where you're picking activities to do a number of times per week. Then when the aura pings you and says, move, what it's basically saying is you've been sat in this very unhealthy position for a long time. You should probably you know, get up and, and stretch. And to be perfectly honest, what would be optimal? Going for a 15-minute walk. What would be realistic? Literally standing up, stretching. I actually put together a three-minute office. I called it an office mobility routine, which is basically you stand up at your desk and you do three minutes of movements like head to toe, which you can in theory do every hour or if you're doing Pomodoro work every 25 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever it is, you just cycle it around. But ultimately it doesn't matter. Another thing I did is I got a jump rope. You know, you can literally just do that for a few minutes. And if you're moving the joints and getting your heart rate up just a little bit, you don't have to be sweaty then that's the kind of thing we're looking for. And what I actually say to people uh, practically is, look, just drink a load of water. You'll have to go and pee. So at least in that way, it's nothing crazy, but at least you're getting up on a regular basis. You're staying hydrated and you're walking around the apartment. So in the most basic sense, try and move as much as possible. Take calls when, while walking. You know, maybe pop to the shop in your break to pick up a water or, or you know, a, a diet coke or something like that, and then on top of that, layer on some form of more intense physical activity, maybe a class, maybe a sport, maybe gym, whatever, maybe a brisk walk. To be honest, just to you know really push the body and start to kind of progress and develop and, and build fitness and strength. To be honest, awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's good, and then. I mean, I've tried different things, right? But but yeah, I think the best thing, at least for me, has been just have a very, very simple routine. And I I think where, when I sit the most is particularly if I'm doing like videos or if I'm doing podcasts and stuff, I'm, I'm very, very, very tight. Yeah, and this is actually something like when I used to revise for medical exams, I used to train more because it used to rejuvenate me. It used to make me feel better. It used to be a break from work. 
And like you were saying earlier, if you kind of wake up at 4 a.m. and work for 10 hours straight, you're not doing that much productive, deep work. But if you get your sleep, wake up at eight, do two hours work, exercise, do two hours work, I would probably put money on the fact that those four hours are more productive than the eight hours that you've done. And I'm saying from experience, but also the, the science and evidence backs this. So people think exercise takes time. Yes, it does. But the net is a positive because we're not measuring how much work we've done, how long we've been in front of a computer. We're, at, we're measuring output and productivity, essentially. And I, I would say that uh, output, however you want to measure it, is increased if you're healthy, if you sleep well, if you exercise. Definitely. Definitely. Any other things you haven't touched on yet? So, so obviously from a nutrition point of view and from a sort of small exercise point of view, what if we take sort of larger type of exercise and work out and if if you are a busy human being what what should you be doing from a workout perspective on a weekly basis to to stay in at least half decent shape yeah so there's kind of two aspects to your exercise there's maybe more but we, we will keep it simple there's the kind of cardiovascular aspect and then there's the kind of strength and muscle aspect and both of them are essential for health essentially when people get old, they start to lose muscle. And one of the biggest reasons that people become frail and, and start to lose their independence and need to start living in, in homes is because they have so little muscle mass, they can't look after themselves. So actually we think of muscle as something where it's like showing off and it's like, I don't like muscle. I don't need muscle. It's like, yeah, but actually it's really important for later life to have a very, very good quality of life. You don't want to shut down at 60 or 70 and have to, you know, have people support you if you exercise your whole life that's not going to happen so we've got the fitness we've got the muscle they're both important now for me personally i get both of those through weight training resistance training and the the benefit for me is i travel a lot there are always gyms so i can always continue my routine in some capacity wherever i am in the world running walking things like that are very very similar Things like swimming and sport are a bit more difficult just because they require certain facilities or certain people if you're on the road. The other thing is, even if you if you don't travel, trying to find 10 people to play five-a-side football or basketball, you're relying on others for your exercise. So trying to have a routine which you can do regardless is probably the most important thing. And then having some element of resistance training or strength, whether that's weights, body weights, whatever and then having some component which is cardiovascular that could still be weight but also maybe running swimming whatever is probably the most important thing and again we can talk about what is optimal and i think the uk and us foundation say 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week but moderate is almost sorry optimal is almost moot if you don't do it so if you're not doing anything let's start right 15 minutes twice a week let's just start with something and then from there you can build up and if you get to 150 minutes then great once you get into the flow you may even get to more than that but the flexibility and the consistency is much much more important and because we're animals because we're mammals because we're built to move the brain releases happy chemicals when we do move so it's a positive reinforcement system serotonin dopamine endorphins all these things make you feel good 
and they come with exercise. So just starting, going from zero to something is the most important thing because from there, it's, you're naturally inclined to slowly do more. That makes sense. That makes sense. And when you do exercise, I mean, again, consistency is at least what I've struggled with the most. So when I live in, in a consistent place and I go to the gym, that's okay, but particularly with travel and so on, it, it can be quite difficult to stay on top of. Any sort of small hacks or any ways that you sort of use for yourself to, to make sure you keep going and make sure you don't miss out? Yeah, for sure. So I think there's three things off the top of my head. One is I book it off in my calendar. It's busy time. I can't book a sales call over it. And it's not just gym time. It's the 30 minutes to get there and it's the 30 minutes afterwards. So it's a two hour block every day. And I just move it up and down according to my, my timetable, but it's there. It has to fit somewhere. And when I'm in one place in Lisbon, it's the same time every day. So nothing, I just get into a routine that I just don't do anything during that time. The other thing is to hire a trainer or have a training partner or do a class where there's some sort of social accountability for you to turn up. And it doesn't have to be drastic. Like a class might be five or 10 bucks, but it's still enough. It's still enough to tip you over the edge to think, well, I've already paid for it. I have to go. Or you tell someone, I'll see you at the class at 12 o'clock on Tuesday. And then again, you're, you're, you're letting someone down if you don't. So these are just little psychological hacks, which can help. And then the third thing is I make sure that my training is flexible enough so that it's not zero or a hundred. It's not, if I don't train six days a week, then I'm going to train zero days because everything is, is there's no point, right? So I have a very flexible workout, which means that I can train six days a week back to back. Or I can train three days a week and it might be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I can't because of travel or whatever else. But it means out of 52 weeks, probably 50 of them, I'm training at least three times, which build that up over three years, five years, 10 years means I'm making progress. Whereas training super hard for six weeks or even six months and then doing nothing for a period, you're probably not getting anywhere. And this is where people start to say, you know, I'm a hard gainer. This doesn't work. I can't really figure this out. It's like, you just need to be more consistent. We can figure out intensity, optimization, blah, blah, blah. But consistency is, is underpins everything. That's, that's definitely been my main challenge over, over the years. So I've had periods. I mean, a, a couple of times I've been lucky enough to live in buildings with a gym. And I know with myself, when it takes me a minute to get to the gym, I go every day, no problem. I also know that when I need to figure out where is the gym and I need to sign up and I need to do all that stuff that uh, definitely makes it harder for me. So, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, consistency is definitely key. Yeah. It's, it's the same with everything. You, you need to build the pyramid from the foundation and that's the most basic sense of the thing. But for, for entrepreneurs, for high performers, it's difficult to accept the 80, 20, to accept just doing 20% because it doesn't feel like anything. When you're motivated, you want to go to a hundred and then when you're not motivated, you want to go to zero. And when I propose, look, just 20% consistently is enough. It, it doesn't sit well with people. They don't like it. They want to do hard 75 or something where they're, they're really challenged. And I'm like, do you know what's hard? Being consistent for five years. That's hard. Give me 20% for five years and you're going to win. Give me, going crazy for 75 days. <laughs> 
it's not going to achieve anything. I'm sorry, apart from an Instagram story and a pat on the back at some point, maybe if you succeed. Depends what you want. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense, Emil. Makes sense. So, well, a book I read many years ago, I think, was The Four Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. And he was, uh, he was a super fan of kettlebells. And uh, I have to be honest, when I travel, I travel with 12 kilos. And the thought of a 10, 15 kilo kettlebell dragging that around the world is not very, uh, uh, something that amuses me. So, have you read the book and anything that you sort of taken away from it? So the four-hour work week is the original book I read to get me on this road. And I'm sure this is the case for a lot of people. And as entrepreneurs, we know that some of the stuff in that book is great advice. Some of it is great stories. And overall, Tim is a great marketer. Very similar for the four-hour body. Perhaps with a little bit less good advice. Um, he, he's awesome. I love his stuff, but he, he, he's very intelligent and he takes the science of health to the limits. Um, and he's packaged it in such a way that it sounds very, very appealing. Now, kettlebells, I have no issue with. I'm a huge fan of kettlebells. I did an instructor, an instructor thing many years ago. I like them. They're fine. Um, but a lot of what he, he says in the book is, is kind of a very nice narrative backed by kind of cherry picked science. And to be honest, if that gets you to do it, amazing. It's just overly restrictive and overly specific for what it needs to be. And certainly with the training, if you want to gain muscle, my advice would be instead of reading entrepreneur productivity self-help books is to look at the people out there who are building and gaining muscle all the time, professional athletes, bodybuilders. <laughs> they don't train for 15 minutes, four times a week or whatever, Tim Ferriss recommends. So if you're struggling with muscle and you're like, yeah, but I'm doing everything he says, he's not the professional at building muscle. And, and just to note that thing that he did where he gains 28 pounds in 12 days or whatever he did. I mean, there, there's just so much wrong with that. Let's not even go into it. Let's just say that it's, it's fiction. Right. Okay. Yeah. We all have a easy dreams, easy dreams. And he sells them well. I love it. I literally love it. I was reading it and I was like, I see what you did there. This is excellent. <laughs> awesome, Emil. Awesome. Right. This has been a great chat and I, I really hope there's something for the audience to take away. So if people are eager to both get their nutrition, but also workouts and so on, uh, get moving with that and, and have the best support they can find, which is obviously you, what's the, what's the best way to get in contact with you and find out more? So the easiest way is my website is dremil.com. But if you want some, just to kind of follow me and see what I'm about, then dremil, D-R-E-M-I-L official. So dremil official on uh, Instagram is probably the easiest just for watching from afar and making sure that I'm not a loony. I'm not sure about that one, but fair enough. Fair enough, Emil. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. To the audience, thank you very much for hanging on all the way to the end. We'll be back again next week. So see you then. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.